We're Armstrong and Getty. We're on vacation, but we needed somebody to let you know what's going on in this crazy world. We've chosen the fabulous John Phillips, who will be back on Monday, but John, take it away. That's right. It's me, John Phillips, in for a vacationing Armstrong and Getty. They'll be back with you on Monday after they sit in the pool, maybe have a margarita or two, and enjoy the warm summer weather. You can normally catch me on Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles from noon to 3. You can get me on the AM band at AM 790 or worldwide at KABC.com. You can also read my column in the Southern California News Group papers. That's the LA Daily News, the OC Register, the Riverside Press Enterprise, and not to be forgotten, the Redlands Daily Facts. Well, the breaking news this morning is that the European Union said if you have a summer vacation in Europe and you're in the United States, you better check with your airline and find out their cancellation policy because you ain't going. They think that we're going to go over there and give them the Rona while we're looking at the Mona Lisa. And they don't want any part of that, so you'll have to probably reschedule for next year. Now, we have breaking news in the United States concerning COVID-19. Yesterday, Los Angeles County, the most populated county in the entire state of California, said if you're planning on going to the beach on the 4th of July, plan on going someplace else because the beaches are officially closed yet again. Over the weekend, Warden Newsom told Five Southern California, or not just Southern, but five California counties, including Imperial County, Los Angeles County, Kings County, Tulare County, and others, that they needed to close their bars. Because I guess it's evolved from the nail salons to the bars that are ground zero. So he wants all of those shut down. And then he told a bunch of other counties, including Riverside, Sacramento, and San Bernardino, that he recommends that they close their bars, but they aren't forced to. Riverside County, where I am right now, has announced that they are closing their bars effective today. Now, all of this happened after the states of Florida and Texas decided that they were going to close their bars. That was significant because the governors of those two states, Ron DeSantis in Florida and Governor Greg Abbott in Texas, were open up the economy governors. They didn't keep their states closed down forever. They were among the first to reopen after we closed down our economy to stop the spread of COVID-19. So for them to backtrack was a significant change in where we have been and likely gave Warden Newsom in California the green light to shut down the bars in California. Joining us now to talk about this is a man who has a very unique perspective on all of it. He was both a member of the California State Legislature. He represented Orange County in Sacramento for three terms. And now he's a resident in Texas where he writes and researches public policy at the Texas Public Policy Foundation there. Assemblyman Chuck DeVore, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you in the morning, John. Well, last week you and I talked about Texas and Florida and those states and those economies being open. And in the back of my head, I thought, I hope they don't backtrack. I hope they don't shut their economies down, because if they do, they're going to lose the narrative. Over the weekend, the bars in Texas, the bars in Florida were shut down. Do you fear today that these states are going to lose the narrative? Well, I think we're on the precipice of of losing the narrative. And if by that you mean uh, public officials 
basically uh, going in reverse and shutting the economy down just as it was starting to emerge, uh, trying to use these measures to reduce the spread of the virus. When there's a fair amount of evidence that suggests that it doesn't really work all that well. And in Texas, anyway, what we're seeing is that while, yes, the daily case count has been growing, it's begun leveling off, though, in in recent days, uh, and the number of people in the hospitals have been growing, yet we still have plenty of of ICU bed capacity, uh, even though a lot of local politicians have been saying, oh, my goodness, we're going to run out of intensive care unit beds and people are going to start dying. Uh, when, in fact, in most of these regions in Texas, only about 25 to 35 percent of the people in ICU are there because of COVID. Yeah, it's people who delayed their care. It's people who would have gone to the doctor and gotten something checked out and could have taken care of a minor problem who stayed at home and didn't go to the doctor because they were scared to death of being infected at the hospital. So what was a small problem is now a larger problem, and they're going to the hospital instead of urgent care or their primary care physician, and we all saw this coming. Uh, Well, absolutely. And in the state of Texas, as I'm sure in California and in other states, there's been a lot of planning that's been going on since, uh, of course, New York and New Jersey were hit really hard. And, and saw the large number of deaths in nursing homes. And so what's happened in Texas is since March, we've increased our ICU bed capacity by 89% by uh, planning, uh, making alternative arrangements, et cetera. Now, we haven't had to use that yet. We haven't had to use that increased capacity. And, oh, by the way, ICU beds are really expensive to operate. So hospitals, just kind of sort of like hotels, like to keep those very expensive beds with all that expensive equipment and those specialists about 80 to 90 percent full all the time anyway because if you don't you're going to lose money off of it right and so what you're seeing in texas is that instead of being 80 or 90 percent full it's 95 percent full and that about a third of those people are there because of covid now that doesn't count the enormous amount of additional capacity that's been put in place just in case And so all of these reports, and you saw even on Fox News yesterday and other major networks uh, talking about how, oh, my goodness, Texas is going to run out of ICU bed capacity and people are going to die. That is not the case. And so if the whole point of these restrictions was to, as they say, flatten the curve so that we, we don't overwhelm the medical system and then produce a lot of extra fatalities, we're not in danger of that in Texas. And in fact, what you're seeing is the age of the people who are infected and are going to the hospital keeps going down and down and down. Uh, You're a lot of young people. And generally speaking, those symptoms for those young people are very mild, very uh, what's beginning to happen in Texas. And I think in Florida is people are showing up to work and they may have a little bit of sniffles or slight fever. And they're told by their employer, you need to go to the clinic. You need to get tested. So normally they wouldn't have done that. But now they're going, they, they have a positive test. Uh, and they get observed. But, you know, if you're if you're a working age adult or a child or a student, the risk to you from this virus is very, very minimal for most people. Very minimal. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm very concerned that we if we end up going backward, you're likely going to see enormous uh, economic damage uh, that's going to be compounded by people 
having other issues. You pointed it out, right? If, if, if people delayed, for example, their breast cancer surgery or, or you know, they were suspecting that perhaps they had colon cancer and they stayed away from the doctor in the hospital, those individuals are going to get very sick and they're going to die, but it won't be a COVID death, at least not directly. We're speaking with former California Assemblyman Chuck DeVore, who you can follow on Twitter, at Chuck DeVore. Assemblyman, can you speak to uh, to us about the political dynamic going on in Texas? Because Texas is known outside of the state as being a, a pretty red state, being a big red state. But even in a red state, you have pockets of blue, and typically the pockets of blue are in big cities, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, El Paso, Austin. What what we're seeing in Texas is we're seeing local officials in these big blue cities come out and attempt to contradict what's being said by the governor and what's being said by the statewide leadership of your state. Is there a political back and forth tit for tat going on that's muddying the message and giving the news media something to hang on to to say, see, Texas is a basket case. Look at this official. Look what they're saying. There definitely is. Uh, in fact, every major metropolitan area in the state uh, outside of Fort Worth, uh, which you could argue is, is kind of the smallest of the major metropolitan areas, every one of them is controlled by the left, by the Democrats. And you saw that uh, just a couple of days ago in Houston, where a state representative put out a tweet saying that, you know, we're running out of ICU space and that people are going to start dying in Houston. And in fact, that was so far from the truth as to be laughable, and yet the media picked that up as a narrative and ran with it for 48 hours. It got so bad that the local hospital system in Harris County, where Houston is, had to issue a statement, a joint statement, by all of the hospitals in the Harris County area in Houston saying, everything's fine. We have plenty of capacity. Don't worry. But, of course, that news was barely uh, made barely a ripple. And whenever you look at the total number of deaths in the state of Texas, I always say you should juxtapose that with what's going on in other states. Because if you look at Texas and you look at Florida and you look at them next to everyone else and you say to yourself, Texas and Florida are the problem, then you don't know math because the state of Illinois, the state of Pennsylvania, the state of Michigan, the state of Massachusetts, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, among others, have more deaths than Florida and Texas. And in many cases, Florida and Texas have a fraction of the deaths that you're seeing in these other states. Yet you look at the at the the press that Governor Cuomo of New York is getting, that Governor Whitmer in Michigan is getting. They just get praised, heaped on them nonstop. And the job that they have done is decidedly worse than what's going on in Florida and Texas. Yet it's just negative of coverage for those two states nonstop. Well, a- absolutely. So if you look at the New York Times of all sources, right, they, their, their current uh, COVID-19 resource database, what you see is on a per capita basis, New York has lost 20 times what Texas has lost so far. If you look at, at the seven-day rolling average, what you'll see is that Texas just in the last couple of days surpassed New York for daily fatalities on a seven-day rolling basis. Now, remember, Texas is 54% larger than is New York. So from a per capita standpoint, we're still less than New York. 
And yet, because New York had such a terrible curve with so many people dying, and you look at the curve and it, it swoops down and it looks like they have it under control, you look at the New York Times, right? The scale for fatalities in New York is zero to a thousand. In Texas, it's zero to 40. But you look at it and, the, and it's like, oh my God, more people are dying in Texas than in in New York, it's like, no, no, look at the vertical scale. The vertical scale is completely different between the two states, right? So well, 31,000 people on. in New York have died, and in Texas, it's a little over 2,000. <laughs> right, 2,430 as of this morning, yeah. right? So, so now, now, granted, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, New York was hit first. There's some evidence you saw in the Wall Street Journal two days ago that mass transit use plays into this. And, and the states that have a higher percentage of people who commute to work with mass transit were hit very hard and very early. Back before we knew a lot about the virus, and the virus may have mutated since then and become you know, easier to catch, but less deadly per people that catch it. So we don't really know these things. What we do know is that New York has been a basket case, and yet the media continues to go out of its way to praise Governor Cuomo even though he made a decision early on in contravention with federal recommendations to put infected elderly people in his nursing homes, creating a Petri dish that killed tens of thousands of people. Last question before you go. I've been looking at some polls that the news has been putting out, uh, one of which says that if the election were held today, Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump in Texas. Is there any truth to that at all? Is Joe Biden going to win Texas? I don't think Joe Biden is going to win Texas. And let's just remember that if uh, if lightning strikes and he does win, he won't even know what day of the week. Is. <laughs> Very good point. Former California Assemblyman Chuck DeVore, now with the Texas Public Policy Institute. You can get him on Twitter at Chuck DeVore. Thanks so much for stopping by. It's always a good Thank time. You. And you can read him, by the way, in The Federalist. So go do that, too. All right, it's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Don't go anywhere. Armstrong and Getty. Got us some slack. We're on vacation, but John Phillips is filling in for us very ably. Let's find out what's going on in the world. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Broadcasting live from my living room in beautiful Palm Springs, California, where it's expected to be triple digits yet again. Yesterday it cooled off a little bit, but all last week it was triple digits, and the rest of this week it's supposed to be triple digits. In fact, this weekend I think it's going to be north of 110 degrees, so I'll be spending lots of time in the pool. It's also hot this morning in Washington, D.C. I don't know about what the temperature is outside, but it's certainly hot at the U.S. Congress. That is where Dr. Fauci is testifying before the U.S. Senate. And lots of senators have lots of questions, including Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. Let's go ahead and dip in and see what's going on in the nation's capital. Of that coming from you. All I hear, Dr. Fauci, is we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't play baseball. Well, even that's not based on the science. I mean, flu season peaks in February. We don't know that COVID's going to be like the flu season. It might, but we don't know that. 
But we wouldn't, we wouldn't ban school in October. You might close some schools when they get the flu. We need to not be so presumptuous that we know everything. But my question to you is, can't you give us a little bit more on schools that we can get back to school, that there's a great deal of evidence, and it's actually good, good evidence that kids aren't transmitting this. It's rare, and that kids are staying healthy, and that, yes, we can open our schools. Mr. Chairman, do I have a little bit of time to... Well, I give you a little... A little. That <laughs> was well that. over five minutes, but we'll... Thank you, Senator Go ahead and answer the, Please answer the question. Yeah, so very quickly, Senator Paul, I, I agree with a lot of what you say about, you know, this idea about people having to put their uh, opinions out without data. And sometimes you, you have to make extrapolations because you're in a position where you need to at least give some sort of recommendation. But if you were listening, and I think you were, to my opening statement and my response to one of the questions, I feel very strongly we need to do whatever we can to get the children back to school. So I think we are in lock agreement with that. The other thing that I'd like to, to um, clarify very briefly is that I, when things get in the press of what I supposedly said, I didn't say, I never said we can't play a certain sport. What happens is that people in the sport industry, they could either be people from Players Association. All right, so there you go, Dr. Fauci testifying before the United States Senate in Washington, D.C. When did Dr. Fauci, by the way, start sounding like the love child of Harvey Firestein and Charlie Rangel? The first time I've ever... Never saw that connection. All right, Dr. Barbara Stone's going to join us to talk about all the latest in the world of politics. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. And Getty. John Phillips is filling in for him and me, A&G, while we take in a little leisure time. Yeah, we're on vacation. John, what's happening? It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty, who, as you just heard, are on vacation right now. I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago, did a little road trip through the state of Nevada, right? Lots of fantastic food, played some cards, spent some time in the pool, and generally enjoyed freedom. And then... I got the car up in Carson City, Nevada, and I had to head back to the insane asylum that I live in, which is the state of California. And it's funny how the barometric pressure just changes dramatically the minute you cross the state line. You're in Carson City where people are eating and drinking and playing like normal. And then I get out of the car in Bishop to have some lunch. And suddenly we're back in Warden Newsom's prison. Although if he's going to continue to shut the bars down, we can also call him Sponsor Newsom. Going to have all of us kick our bad habit. Well, actually, we won't. We'll just drink at home, but you know what's going on. All right. So much going on in the world politically. Let's go ahead and check in with Dr. Barbara Stone, who is a professor of political science emeritus at California State University Fullerton, who's in the insane asylum with me. In the state of California, Dr. Stone, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, John. So every time we turn around, they take something else away from us. Over the weekend, it was the bars. Los Angeles County just re- announced that they are taking the beaches away yet again, just as 4th of July is approaching. How much more is going to be taken from us in the state of California? 
California doesn't know what it's doing. That's one problem. Um, I honestly believe that the governor was lucky when he happened to do his first shutdown when he did it. It was not part of a plan. And so they just sort of sporadically come and go. Uh, They had to know as they slowly opened um, that you would have flare-ups. Everybody knew you were going to have flare-ups. But they really don't know what's causing it because they refuse to look at the protests. And by the way, you mentioned everything was fine in Nevada, uh, not so fine when you reach California. I will point out to you, California is the one who's had all the protests um, between those two states. And I wonder why there are more cases in one place than the other. But they, they literally don't know. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what level of compliance they get, because once you let people out, it's hard to put them back in. Well, if you're going to obsess over cases and you're not going to obsess over deaths and people going to ICUs and people on ventilators, then you're not supposed to allow things like protests or a bunch of people to show up to funerals where they're not wearing masks and they're sitting on top of one another. Uh, We just saw a big gay pride parade in Chicago where people were taking to the streets to the tune of tens of thousands where there was zero social distancing. They have to be able to stand up to left-wing groups and left-wing organizations and left-wing agitators if they're going to take to the streets for whatever cause happens to be on on their mind that day. And they've shown zero ability to do that. Well, if you're not going to do that, then don't complain to me about cases. Well, and and they frankly, at a funny level, have no desire to stand up to them. That's when you get canceled there. And that's when suddenly you don't have support and they're breaking down the gates to your gated community, Governor. Um, And frankly, they're not going to. So it's going to be weird, sporadic. And really not very useful, I guess, is what I think. Let's switch gears and talk about 2020, because 2020 is something that's really, if it it weren't for the pandemic and the rioting and the protests, would be on top of everyone's mind. But people have forgotten that there's an election in November. Joe Biden's been hiding in his basement. I think he knows where he is, but maybe he doesn't. (laughs) And his poll numbers have looked strong. When people see less of Joe Biden, people seem to like him more. And we've seen polls come out of some of these purple states that decide the election. And Joe Biden is consistently leading in all of them, including, by the way, in some polls from the state of Texas. I see people like Tucker Carlson on TV getting increasingly worried, increasingly negative, increasingly down on President Trump's prospects of winning re-election. You're someone who has studied and researched political science and worked in that world your entire life. Are you as pessimistic as Tucker Carlson? No. No, and part of your problem, now we are getting into the period where what happens is going to affect the election. I tend not to pay any attention until you reach at least June of an election year. That's where we are. Polling, um, polling is just not useful now. Uh, you, it's hard to identify who's going to be voting why and what factors are going to play in. Um, I suspect what you're seeing besides some very odd polling, is um, out of sight, out of mind, and that's a good thing sometimes. Hillary Clinton always used to poll really well until she ran, and then people looked at her and remembered they didn't like her. 
<clears throat> um, and I and and so that's part of what's here. But I don't think that people like Tucker Carlson are paying attention to the sort of overview. The overview, if you want to look at polls, is in a state-by-state Trump is in the states that matter in the ballgame, and he shouldn't be, John. I say that based on my heavens for an incumbent president. What a horrible time. Uh, The economy is tanked because of the virus that's making everybody sick. Protests in the street, rioting. As far as I can tell, New York City is totally out of control. Um, it's everything is bad, and when things are bad, people blame the incumbent. It's as simple as all of that. The fact he's in the ball game means that things aren't going as badly, I think, as people like Carlson think. One of the things you forget is that the president has some people out there helping him. The people out there helping him are the Democratic mayors of these cities and wonderful people like Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Well, and they don't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. Oh, no. Listen. Uh, okay, let me try to do this semi-objectively. There, there are impulses that are command and control, and they tend to come from the left, contrary to what the left wants to tell you. This is such an opening. They have been so empowered. Uh, even their legislatures haven't been able to check them because they had to act that's a real difficult thing to give up, and a whole bunch of them aren't. How big of a deal are, are these statues going down? Because they're going down not just in one city, but all over the place. And it's not just Confederate generals that are being taken down. It's General Grant, it's Abraham Lincoln, it's George Washington. In California, it's the Catholic sta- saints, the, the Catholic missionaries that came in and, and really... Uh, gave the the cities their names, the streets their names. It's part of our culture here in California. Every fourth grader builds the mission, and those people are coming down too. Oh well, and and I live in the city of Whittier, which is named after John Greenleaf Whittier, who was a Quaker and an abolitionist. Right? They defaced his statue. Oh God! So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. That's because it's a statue, right? And you have basically tendencies towards destruction with some people anyway. People fool themselves if they don't understand that you have some nihilists and anarchists going on here who really do just intend to destroy the culture. But they're really stupid anarchists in a lot of ways. Because when you're going to take down a statue of Lincoln paid for by money from freed slaves because somehow Lincoln is degrading blacks, you prove to the world you don't have a clue and or you simply don't care. That loses legitimacy. All right. The protests, I have my own opinions on Black Lives Matter, but the protests can pretend to legitimacy. That can't. And the president's the only one, bless his heart, <clears throat> who's willing to stand up and go, that's really bad and I'm going to sign executive orders. I haven't heard what Joe Biden thinks on the topic. Well, what's he going to do with this? Because they're part of the left, the people who are out in the streets and the people who are defacing all of these statues. Whether they're registered voters or not, I don't know. But they're certainly not part of the right. They're part of the left. And if he comes down too hard on them, he's going to upset some people who are in his camp. How, how obvious can he play footsies with them? And how much does he have to disavow them to win this election? 
John, John, he's he's being a good person and staying inside in his basement with his mask on when he goes out. You can't force him to address anything. And I truly believe if they could keep him in the basement all the way through Election Day, they would do it. Um, and that's not even being funny. Uh, the man himself passed the fact he's a nice guy, brings nothing to the table. So he can avoid a whole lot. What he does is occasionally bleat something out like, no, I'm not in favor of defunding the police. That's a generally popular thing. But he doesn't have to address anything, and he's not. In fact, based on that, funny as it sounds, a number of people I know whom I consider quite intelligent think that they will figure out a way to not have him debate the president. How can they do that? Oh, it's going to be something evil Trump does, of course. Um, And or, see, I don't believe that. What I do believe is that uh, Biden can hold it together for one debate. He'll do one debate. Trump will be so horrible that to Biden that somehow or another they'll have an excuse not to do any more. I don't know that. I actually, John, I, I don't see that playing out, but I'll bet you money they try. Well, Trump will get right in his face and tell him he's senile. <sighs> Trump needs to be careful. People are incredibly defensive of nice guys who don't seem that sharp and if what you do is charge like a bull and just rip him apart what will happen is people will look and go donald trump how can you be so mean and awful and you'll come back and go yeah but the guy's senile and trump just proved he was senile to which take my word for it the answer will still be trump how could you be so mean Is that because most people know someone who's lost their marbles, they've had Alzheimer's, they've had dementia, they've had something? Or do they just look at being not all there as something that is a protected class? Well, no, I think if you're not all there and you're a nasty person, people turn on you. It's when you seem like this nice person, okay? This nice person. And he doesn't have Alzheimer's, John. What's wrong with you? (laughs) And he doesn't even have dementia. Joe always stumbles around, right? Right. (laughs) I'm telling you, I can see the storyline right now, and it's a trap for the president in its own way. When the president sits there and sort of shakes his head and goes, oh, poor Joe, that's much more effective than ripping him a new one. Didn't you at one point invite a politician to one of your classes who wasn't all there and the reaction of your students kind of surprised you? Oh, tell me about it. This is where I learned it. I I was young, so this is many years ago. I was full of myself. I thought I was the world's greatest professor. I still think that, but I don't say it. Well, you know, a little modesty comes with age. To make a long story short, without throwing out a name, yes, it was a member of the state legislature who was certifiably stupid. That was his problem in life. I could prove it to you. My students wanted to see a stupid politician, so I invited him. (laughs) It's true. And, And he was just, when I say stupid, this is a guy... The Speaker of the Assembly had set him up for his maiden speech. In those days, they used cards. So he read the speech that was written through for him. He read card one. He read card two. He read card three. He read card four. He read card one. He read card two. <laughs> and, and, they, and the Speaker shut off his microphone. So it was at that level. So 
the next day at time class met, I went prancing back in certain I had delivered for my students. And I don't care if it was my most right-wing student, my most left-wing student. They looked at me and said, Dr. Stone, how could you be so mean? (laughs) And I said to them, wasn't he stupid? And they said, yes, but how could you be so mean? I'm sorry. I, uh, <laughs> I learned, and the president had better watch it with Joe Biden. Is he capable of doing that? Uh, probably not. <laughs> no. Well, I you could be patronizing. You could just say, oh, poor Joe, and yes. do it without being overtly aggressive. You could just be passive aggressive. Yes, and actually, you know what this is going to depend on? It's going to depend on how much the president believes what will be his own press, which is, hey, he's just going to go in there and tear Joe apart so he doesn't need to think about it, or whether the president himself understands he needs to prepare. Because when he prepares, he can be pretty good, but he has to prepare. He can't just walk in thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to swing for this because he'll end up losing. When Joe Biden debated the other Democrats in the primary, he had trouble finishing his thought. He had trouble dealing with the moderators. He had trouble um, working out his time. He was always being cut off by the buzzer or cut off by the lights. He looked bad in those debates. That's when his numbers started to tank. It was Jim Clyburn that came back and saved him in South Carolina after he was DOA. If he goes into one of these debates and looks like a senile old man and senile to a point to where it can't be explained or papered over by his supporters, how big of a problem is that going to be for him? Then he loses. Okay. So you have to work around that, and I presume the way they will work around it, because I, as I say, I think they'll debate. I, um, it may be wishful thinking on the other. What you need to do, and what he had the tendency to do in those debates, except then he just couldn't be quiet, was, okay, here's the question. You have two minutes to answer it. In 30 seconds, he says what he's going to say, and then he stops. That's how you handle that. Because that's about all he can manage. But if he does, he, but in the debates, what he kept going was, well, I see my time's up. Oh, no, my time isn't up. Oh, and by the time you finish that, honey, you didn't look very good. Just make the statement he's prepared for on that question. And by the way, he'll be both prepared and may even have the questions in advance, right? Um, just say it and then be quiet. And make the president look like he's blustering and this, that, or the other. I assume that's what they'll do. And if you're Trump, you attack his son, Hunter, because that sets him off. Yes, it does. And to be honest, while you want to go, oh, don't go after people's kids, you barely need to mention Hunter to set Biden off. So, yes, I assume that's what they'll do. Dr. Barbara Stone, professor of political science emeritus at Cal State Fullerton, thanks so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Have a good day. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. More coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. John Phillips filling in while A and G, that's him and me, are on vacation. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Johnny Don't Like and catch me on the radio in Los Angeles on AM 790 KABC between the hours of noon and 3 Pacific Coast time. You can listen online at KABC.com. Well, as I mentioned before, Warden Newsom shut down the bars in any number of counties, including Los Angeles County in California. Other counties have since fallen in line and shut down the bars in their counties. Los Angeles County and fake Dr. Barbara Ferrer announced that they're shutting down their beaches over the 4th of July weekend. And what's interesting about that is if you think the population of Los Angeles County is going to follow their edicts, you're bonkers. I've got a good friend who lives right on the Strand in Manhattan Beach. It's, by the way, the best view that money can buy in the state of California and the best place to go for happy hour. You sit there and have a martini on his porch, and you think you've died and gone to heaven. You just sit there looking at the pretty blue Pacific. And he told me that when the beaches were shut down the first time, it was a game of whack-a-mole during the day, where people would show up and then they'd get chased and then they'd come back as soon as the cops went away or the lifeguards went away. But at night, it was like the 4th of July every night and they didn't enforce the rules. So people just didn't pay attention. 4th of July weekend is right around the corner. Lots of people have been cooped up in their homes and now they want to go to the beach and they want to have a good time and the beaches are now closed in Los Angeles County. I don't think it's going to be like the 4th of July. I think it is going to be the 4th of July in L.A. County beaches. Time will tell.